You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. So, good morning, Anthem. How are you doing? I'm really excited to be here, and Stan said I could take the first few minutes of my message this morning and actually give you an update on the network that you're a part of. Last year, as you know, 2016, we planted Anthem Church and Salt Company here at University of Missouri-Columbia. Sorry your football team's bad. I mean, mean, you're real bad. I heard a guy in the hallway just a while ago saying, well, we already won our one game this year, so we're not going to win any... But that's part of being in the SEC, and so uh, that's, that was your choice, and it's made, you, it's made you richer when it comes to the university and poorer in sports. Sorry about that. You should have stayed in the Big 12. Um, so, uh, but we also planted last year at uh, Des Moines, Drake University, and that church is Cottage Grove Church, and it's going wonderfully there as well. So this year, we ventured out. We went all the way out to State College and planted Wellspring Church and Salt Company at Penn State University, and guess what? Uh, We beat the Hawks last night. This is a beautiful thing for me. It doesn't matter who wins, I win, uh, because we have a church at Iowa University, and so, you know, I just choose the winner. It's always fun to be a part of a winner, and my goal is to see God use us to plant a church at every major university in the Midwest and throughout this continent so we can always win. That's fun, winning. And did you see the last play of the game last night? Penn State throws this touchdown pass. Four seconds left in the game. It was over. And all my Hawk fan buddies just mourned, but all my Penn State buddies celebrated. And I was just happy for the church plant because (laughs) now they are doing well. And they've got two Iowa staff there and one Pennsylvania staff. And I talked to the lead pastor this morning. He said, I was so glad that Iowa didn't win so I didn't have to threaten the Iowa staff with firing them for their job for being too cocky in church this morning. So that's the way it goes in the network. And we also, um, this year, were able to plant the Gophers, uh, University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And that was an unbelievable kickoff. The very first kickoff in Central Campus, we had 400 students that gathered and almost 400 at their church, and obviously starting in Ames, you can't really get a job when you graduate Iowa State University in Ames, so most of the jobs are in Minneapolis, so we had a lot of alumni there, and it was a great, great kickoff. But as you know, or maybe you don't know, but I hope that you know, because you have good leadership here in Anthem Church, the theme of our network is 1002. How many of you know what 1002 is? Okay, that should be every hand, Stan. Uh, And except for today, every day, your alarm should be set at 10.02. And you say, well, Pastor Troy, why 10.02? Because this is what Jesus asked us to do. And only, wouldn't it only be right if we as children of God would do what Jesus asked us to do? Yes, it would be, Pastor Troy. So I'm going to set my alarm at 10.02. And in Luke 10.2, Jesus said, see that the fields are white unto harvest. Pray earnestly that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. And so we set our alarms every day, 1002, to pray the 1002 prayer for laborers, and it goes off. And even if you just say, yes, Lord, send out laborers, um, that would be great, so set your alarm. And then you actually could get one of these T-shirts, but we've updated the T-shirts, and so you can see this is the birth order of all of our churches. It's not all of our churches, but it's all of our salt companies, starting with Iowa State. And then you notice down there, I think the fifth one on the list is uh, uh, Mizzou, right? You see that on there? 
And then you go down the list and you see Penn State and you see Minnesota, and then you see there's two more words after that. Do you see what they say? Can you read that? Kansas and Wisconsin. And, you know, we don't really have churches in salt companies at Kansas and Wisconsin, but here's the cool thing. We're pregnant. <laughs> and we've already named those babies. Uh, so the church that's going to be planted at Kansas is called Story Hill Church. And I never thought I would hear these words come out of my mouth in a non-mocking way, but this Tuesday when we were on the campus looking for places to meet with the leadership team that is there and looking for opportunities to live, I found myself saying, rock, chalk, jayhawk, K-U. <laughs> I'm going to win some basketball games finally. Uh, so, and then I, I just saw even this morning there was a team of about 70, which will be the core team that's going to be starting University of Madison. And you can be praying for these baby churches that are a part of your network that you are participating in seeing God plant those churches. And you say, well, Pastor Troy, where's next? Well, I don't know, but we've been touring the University of Illinois. We'd like to go there. We've been looking at Purdue and Indiana University. We also have a group of people that are begging us to come to South Dakota State University. In any place, there are resident students on campus of over 10,000 students and an opportunity to plant a church in the Midwest or the East Coast or West Coast we want to go there too. So that's what you're a part of, and I hope, I hope, I hope that you're excited about that, that you'll get a t-shirt, that you will um, set your alarm. Otherwise, you'll just be being disobedient um, to God. Uh, so, or not, do what you want. You, you have to stand before him, not me. <clears throat> so Stan said, I can only take a few minutes, and all those minutes are gone now. So Today we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 8, and one of my privileges in being in all these churches is I get the opportunity to be a better Bible student because I have to keep up with all of the teaching in all of the churches in case I get an opportunity to teach. And I was thinking, oh God, it's been a long time since I taught Nehemiah. And usually you teach Ezra and Nehemiah together, so I read them again and I thought, oh please let it be chapter 8. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 8, and the reason is because I think that this chapter of all the chapters in Nehemiah really encapsulates what I really have a heart to share with you guys today. We want to be a part of a movement of God, don't you? I mean, as you look at history and you look what God has done in times, we want to be a part of seeing God do it again, do it again. And sometimes God uses more than our lifetime to do one thing. In this case, Israel had been in exile for over 70 years. The walls had been demolished for over 140 years. You guys are not going to live that long. Sometimes in biblical history, God would use 400 years as a period of time to accomplish one thing in his sovereign purposes. What a bummer to have been born sometime in that stage. And you would just be praying, God, do something extraordinary. He would say, wait 300 years. And you're going to say, wait. My life will be gone. And didn't Jesus say that about our lives? It's just a mist that appears for a little while, and then it's over. But sometimes you get to be born at a period of time in history 
where you really feel like that you're standing on the threshold of a movement of God. And I guarantee you, in Nehemiah chapter 8, when God's people got together, they felt like they were standing on a threshold of a movement of God, and they felt like God was going to do something in their lifetime that was significant. And as they gathered together under the preaching of Ezra, and as he read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit fell on that group, and there was tremendous repentance and weeping and then Nehemiah as only Nehemiah could do he addressed that crowd and he said stop your crying stop your grieving the joy of the Lord is our strength and it was as though he believed with all of his heart that God was about to do something extraordinary movemental world changing And I have to let you guys know, I believe we're in that place. Have you seen the news? It was predicted yesterday by some crazy Christians that the world was going to end yesterday. Oh, they were wrong again. But you know what the scripture says? Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, unbelievable Violence, brokenness. So why would you not as a believer think that we're getting to the end? And when the scriptures were written, the last days that would soon come over 2,000 years ago, guys, we're at least 2,000 years closer and maybe this is the last movement of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to give my life for this. I want to be a part of a movement of God and I want to live all of the breath that is my life, all of the vapor that appears for a little while and then is gone. I want to live every day for the kingdom of God and crying out to him on that threshold, God, move, move in a way that changes this world, move in a way that changes lives around me, move in such a way that I can feel like I'm experiencing God moments every day of my life. I define a movement like this and we're going to see it in this text. It's when the people of God return to the word of God and are so convicted over their sin that they're broken and then they get up off of their knees motivated by the joy of the Lord that is their strength. We're gonna see that clearly in this text, so let's read it together. Starting with the last verse of chapter seven in Nehemiah chapter seven, we're gonna read the first 12 verses of chapter eight. And by the way, This will test my reading skills, and you'll see why here in a moment. So please follow along if you can. 73b, and when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns, and all the people, chapter 8, gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, he brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it, facing the square of the water gate from early in the morning until midday. Talk about a long sermon. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood 
Mattathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Masiath on his right hand, and Padiah, and Meshiel, and Malchijah, and Hashem, and Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. You talk about team teaching, that's 13 guys on the platform. Some on the right, some on the left. I don't know if they're doing sign language or a bunch of, I, it, just envision it in your heart and mind. Uh, this crazy platform of teachers. Verse five, in Ezra, he opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all of them on this wooden platform. And as he opened it before all the people, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. They were Baptist. And then they were lifting up their hands. No, they're charismatic. Baptist. Charismatic Baptist. And then they bowed their heads and worshiped. Oh, they're Wesleyan. And they put their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Manny, Sherebai, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, hey, I, you wouldn't do any better. Hadiah, Masiath, Kelleth, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So you see, they're just scurrying around saying, you understand what's being said? You don't? Oh, sit down, we'll explain it together. And they read from the book of the law of God. They read it clearly. They gave the sense. They explained it clearly so the people understood the reading. Verse 9, now Nehemiah is going to get back in the scene, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. I lost my place because my notes went blank. That's bad for all of us. Let's go back to verse 9 because then I'll just read to the end. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. You understand the morning was being loud. They were so broken. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. So... Let me see if I can get my notes to come alive again. I'm not very technologically savvy, but they did. Thank you, Lord. That was good. So you remember? Four components of movement of God. The people of God. Oh, guess what? We have that. One down. The word of God. Oh, guess what? We're opening that. brokenness over sin and conviction of the word of God, but then renewed and motivated by the joy of God that is our strength. 
I love the leader in this context. Listen to what Ezra 7 says about Ezra. It says that Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his rules and his statutes in all of Israel. All the people, it says, were gathered as one man. Paul, he wrote in one of his epistles to the Philippians, he said, here's what I want you guys to do, to contend as one man for the sake and the good of the gospel. We as a church are the body of Christ. We as the people of God represent him, not bickering and fighting among each other, but actually contending for the faith of the gospel as one man. And where was the place that they were at? They were at the water gate. And this has nothing to do with Nixon, okay? Nothing at all. That's old. But why were, at the, why were they at the water gate? Look at the people who were there, all of them. And look at the categories, men and women and children who are old enough to understand. Can I pause there just a second? Why did they not meet in this temple that had newly been reconstructed? Why did they not meet inside the safe walls that had newly been constructed? Why at the water gate? What was so significant about that place? What was so significant about men and women and children? You see in the temple... You know who couldn't come in? Almost everybody was left out. You know who got to go into the presence of God? Oh, just one man, once a year, the most righteous of the righteous, the holiest of the holiest, the high priest, and even he feared for his death. And it was at the cross that that veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom as an invitation who all would come in. So Jesus would said, whosoever will would come. And so the temple wasn't a place for any men. In fact, the foreigners had their special place and the Jews had their special place and the priests had their special place. And the most special place of all, the Holy of Holies, was only one man one time a year. And the women could never go in. And certainly never the children. And so this gathering place, the water gate, it was a place for everybody. It was the socializing place for men and women and children. And so they gathered at that place and they heard the preaching of the word of God. Do you see what it was? As a 3C church, it was a celebration. And they were saying, all who can understand can come. It was the first day of the seventh month which according to the law was the Feast of Trumpets, which is a celebration of how great God was. And all the people came together and they ate and they drank and they delighted in one another and they delighted in being the people of God. But what was the centerpiece of that? It wasn't just a party. It was the scriptures. And the word of God was spoken. Why? Because what was the party about? It was about God himself. And about hearing the words of God. And these scriptures had laid low for so many years. And the people were unfamiliar with the scriptures. And they didn't understand. And so when Ezra stood up, he began to read it. And all of the men began to explain it. And then the people began to understand it. Guys, this is real worship. Do you guys like just 
the reading of scripture? Well, I said that in such a way that you really don't know what the answer is. Does he want me to say yes or no? So I'm going to say yes or no. Public reading is yes or no. I don't know. How many people in that time could read? Not very many. How many of the people in that time had a copy of the scriptures for themselves? Zero. How many of them had an app? or multiple commentaries or whatever. And so when they gathered together as a group and someone who is literate literally could read the scriptures, so many of them were hearing for the first time, had never been educated so that they could understand, and it was so important for them to hear the word of God being read and then for them to understand the meaning of its text. And when they did, it gripped their soul. And what was the right response to encountering God? It happens every time you encounter God. When you encounter God, do you begin to think, I am awesome. And yet, when you listen to the prayers of Americans, doesn't that tend to be the sense that God would get hearing our prayers? Because we carry very little of his word into those words that we speak to him. And it's as though God is a genie in heaven whose primary purpose is to make my life good today. Give me my best life now. See, God, I am great. Thank you for this opportunity to talk to you because you, in fact, are greater than me, but your primary purpose is to serve my good. Is that what happens when people encounter God in the scriptures? Is that what happens when people encounter angels in the scriptures? Is that what happens when people get around Jesus in the scriptures? No, what happens every single time is they cry out like Isaiah the prophet who says, whoa, it's me, I'm about to die because of my sinfulness. And they began responding in true worship which was repentance. And they began to cry out under the preaching and teaching of the word of God. And often this happens in our connection groups when we talk to one another and try to apply the scriptures to our life once we understand it. And I see almost these guys going around in these little connection groups explaining the scriptures and as people understood they were repenting of their sin and they began to weep and they began to wail and they were responding in brokenness. Are you familiar with the Corinthian church? A good church, bad church. You're saying, once again, you ask these questions, I don't know the answer. Do I say? I'll just be quiet because he really doesn't want me to answer. He'll tell me the answer he did last time. It was a great church, but it was really messed up, just like Anthem Church and Cornerstone Church and Wellspring Church and Salt City Church and all the churches in our network, because the church is made up of people, and there's only one kind of people, really broken people, and when you encounter God, it's so obvious I'm going to tell you a funny joke. 
I used to consider myself athletic. You know why? Because my perspective was so skewed. I went to high school in Iowa, and I was more (laughs) athletic than some of my friends. I actually was a two-year starter on varsity at football. So I thought I was a football athlete. But then you know what happened? I went to college. And I got around some athletes. And I realized. (laughs) And then I started meeting some real athletes. And I realized, oh, the gap between me and them. And when you encounter God, that gap is so horribly pronounced that you begin to say, what am I doing here? I'm going to die. In the church in Corinth, their gatherings, Paul said, they're doing more harm than good because it became gatherings all about them. They were eating, they were drinking, they were partying, they were engaging in sexual immorality and they were celebrating the grace of God and they were abusing it and he said, stop. Why would you gather like that? He said, you want to know when your gathering is good? Your gathering is good when people leave the gathering and they say, wow, I was so convicted of my sin. And I don't know any other way to describe what happened, but God was there. God was there. And that's what these people were encountering. And that's what we should encounter every time the word of God is opened. We should see God in such a way that it crushes us. And the only right response to God is to weep and to wail and to grieve and to mourn and to cry out for mercy. Unless, unless, You have relationship with this God. Unless you know Jesus. Because even Nehemiah and Ezra, they were seeing this appropriate response to the people of God, and they said, wait, wait, whoa, 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 stop it. Stop your weeping, stop your mourning. Stop your grieving. This is a celebration of God. Get on your happy face. Joy. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It is the joy of the Lord will enable us to serve him. Not the duty, not the law, not the obligation, not the sorrow, not that. No, it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. I'm telling you, David understood this. You know, David, King David, you know, some of you are thinking, yeah, such a good musician. Other, others of you guys are thinking, yeah, he was a warrior. That's what he was. No, no he, was a, he was a poet. No, no, actually, he was killing people. That was awesome. No, I mean, he was all of those things. But what was he known after? 
David, whose heart was what? For the Lord. And he got caught in this horrible sin. You know why? Because he was broken. Confronted by Nathan, who risked his life to confront him. In Psalm 51, what a beautiful psalm. And in that psalm, what does David say? Restore to me the what? Joy. Joy of your salvation. I've discovered that Christians who pursue Jesus in duty can do that for a year or two, and then they become some of the most undelightful people that I've ever known. But people who are broken before God and they receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, they get up every day shocked and overwhelmed by the love of God, and they push into joy, and they follow Jesus for his glory and their joy. And that's the message of Nehemiah 8. So here are the three questions. What value do you put on God? And I think that value can be rightly seen in the value that we put on his word and hearing from God, just wanting to hear the word of God just wash over us and convict us of sin and knowing that the word of God is inspired and is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness that we would be equipped for every good work, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword and it pierces the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so I go to the word of God trembling, saying, God, I want to hear from you. And what always happens when I hear from God, I experience brokenness again and again. Paul, early in his ministry, he declared himself to be the least of the apostles. About midway in his ministry, he described himself as the least of the saints. Wow, he's lost a lot of ground, hadn't he? And by the time he writes his last letter to Timothy, how did he describe himself? He said, Paul, the foremost of sinners. Now let me ask you the question, did Paul just get worse and worse and worse as he journeyed with Jesus throughout his life and godliness? Or as he drew closer and closer to the king of kings, did he feel the weight of his sin more and more and more? But did it crush him and depress him such that he just couldn't do it anymore? The gap's too big. I can't get up. I cannot meet your standards. Holy cow, I can't be perfect. Every time I come to you is perfect. I just feel the weight. Because I saw the joy of the king who delights to cover him in his righteousness. And he got up with the joy of the Lord that was his strength. So that's the last question is, are you experiencing the motivating power of the joy of Jesus? Well, if you know Jesus and he's called you to be his, you cross off the first thing in the movement. You're the people of God. If you're trying to develop a discipline of hearing from God through his word, guess what? If you're a box checker, 
your 50%. But where I find people really struggle is to be broken. Somehow, you think that's an early Christian experience. I remember that one time I cried. I remember one time when I was convicted of my sin. If you're not in that place, would you just beg God to let you see more clearly so that you're always just like one step away. And then just to hear God say, got you. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Those are things the world doesn't possess. And when we have those, because they're a gift from God, not rooted in who we are, what we can do, Rooted in who he is and what he has done, the joy of the Lord will strengthen us to get up every day obediently desiring to do his will. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you for these beautiful days. We stand on the threshold, I believe God with all my heart, and I know there are others in this room who believe it, We stand on a threshold of a movement of God that hopefully will transform our lives, this country, this world. And if not, God, so blessed are we to be in your presence and to have seen what we've seen, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Fill us with your joy. Help us to be broken before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.